You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin here today by calling in the spirits. So I reach out through the internet waves, through our mind waves, our heart waves, through our energy out to the ancestors. To those ancestors who lived well and died well, to those ancestors who are where they belong in the land of the dead so they can reach out to their descendants and offer us help, offer us the perspective from a life well lived, offer us perspective from a life not lived so well, but at least they have perspective on it. So we give thanks to these ancestors who are able to show up for us as helping spirits and bring to us all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines all the way back from the first man and the first woman. We call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather round and to help us in this most auspicious time we've all chosen uh, to be here together in this time of the changing of the worlds from an old world to a new world. And we ask these ancestors to help us to learn from that which they truly wish they had done better, to guide us that we might do it better still. So we give thanks to them for gathering around us here today. So much gratitude for the way they stand behind us and support us and help us to feel the pull of the descendants who are coming and in this way know that we are the link the living, we are the link between those who have been and those who are coming and that which needs to be done today in the world. So we give thanks to the ancestors for this perspective and their support in living it. And so let us turn our awareness from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly and send our energy down into the earth herself. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience it to the face of this planet. We give thanks for the diversity. Thanks for the beauty. Thanks for the lessons that come every day. Thanks for the possibility always in this life to change, to grow, and to transform. We give thanks to the earth for the generosity in this dreaming that allows us to become more than the person we arrived as. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth as we reach down through all the layers of the earth to the very, very center of the earth. We're no longer attached to the earth as a personality or femininity or any sort of energy, but just this essential true yin energy that brings to us restoration, rejuvenation, and replenishment. So we reach deep down to the center of the earth, into this well of nourishment, and we draw this energy up through all the layers of the earth with great gratitude and profound wonder at the actual experience of life. And in this humble way, we draw this resource up through all the layers of the earth. We draw it into our bodies, into our day, 
and into these proceedings, bringing into our life the capacity for groundedness, for the creation of a sense of hearth and home within ourselves, not tied to a place on this planet necessarily, but that quality that goes with us so that we can be in our own sense of belonging no matter where we are. And we can act from that place no matter where we are. So we give thanks to the earth for the rich energy she offers us that we can be grounded and protected and centered in our lives. And from this perspective, we can then reach out to feel our connection with ourselves, our connection with our environment, our connection with the invisible world. And we give thanks to the earth for this connection, this interconnection and the oneness of all things. And with great, great gratitude, we give thanks to the earth for this great web of life in which we are a part. And we ask the earth to help us with her wisdom of manifestation, to help us to understand how we can be here in form in a good way in this day. And with the energy of the earth supporting us and our feet firmly planted on the ground, whether in reality or in our mind's eye, we reach our energy up from belly to heart and heart to mind, all the way up through the sky above us, out through whatever weather that sky holds for you, out through the atmosphere, and all the way out into the cosmos. And we reach up and out through the cosmos to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, name it. Connect with that energy and draw it down. And in this way, we bring into our day, into ourself, into these proceedings, all the wisdom of the cosmos. As we call this energy down, we bring into our life, into our day, the essential energy of blessing. We draw in the energy of protection and guidance, the energy of generosity and benevolence, and the great beneficence of our universe. We call these energies in that we might find in our life the mentors that we need, the champions for our cause, and that we might be for others the mentors that they need and the champions for their cause. So we call this energy down, bringing in inspiration and creativity and illumination into our head, our heart, and our belly. And we take a moment and just to imagine the meeting of these two great lovers within ourselves, the earth and sky, heaven and earth coming together within our own bodies and igniting the feeling of this big love, this true yin, true yang wholeness from which things are birthed into form. So we give thanks to this energy for being within us and we invite our heart to awaken in this great presence of the big love. And we ask the heart to be the crucible that it is, to hold in its own special way the fiery passions of the belly with the crystal clarity of the mind and to draw these energies together, to hold them in a dance of complementary dualism, that they might dance together in a way that gives birth to a third energy that has not yet been seen before on this earth at any time, past, present, or future. And this is your own unique genius, some feeling or knowing of your soul's true purpose. And may you find in your heart the courage to do something large or small in this day to bring your soul's purpose, to bring your gifts into manifestation in the world. So we give thanks to the spirits gathered around here, above, below, and in the center. May what needs to be said be said. 
and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things so i give thanks to spirit for all the help that spirit gives us in the manifestation of these shows i give thanks to all of you listeners who are able and willing to donate to the show it is your donations that keep the show alive and on the air without them we would not be able to pay the bills and we would need to stop and that would be a sad thing and so i thank all of you sarah in particular and all the other listeners who have been able to donate to the show since we last gathered if this show is meaningful to you in any way i ask you to please allow that movement in your heart to move you into action and do something to support the strength, the growth, the vitality, the relevance of this show. Um, this is the essential act of shamanism. When shamans speak of um, power being mediated in the heart, this is what they mean. That we are moved in our heart. Um, and that movement in the heart motivates us into action in our life. And so um, I ask you to do whatever you can. If you would like to donate to the show and you have not before, please know that any amount is welcome, large or small. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click on the support button and donate any amount. There are no increments. It's all up to you. You can donate in any currency um, recognized on the face of our planet here. And I'm grateful for all of it. And I'm also grateful for those of you that send in questions and use what you learn or inspired by on the show and who keep the teachings alive and vital and i am grateful for the interchange that is happening um, that lets us all know that we are not alone in our efforts to write a new story for the new world a new story for the people for the new world so thank you all for helping me uh, to keep the show on the air we give thanks to co-creator network for supporting us and we are live this week. Um, if you have any questions about today's topic, which is money, power, and shamanism, please feel free to call in at 512-772-1938. You are welcome to Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I would be happy to read your question on the air here today. Um, I'm chuckling a little bit because I got really writer, writer's blocky and trying to create this show. And I also noticed that nobody responded to the Facebook page either, that here is this issue that, that plagues many of us. And yet it's like no one's interested. It's kind of a funny, funny energy um, around this. Nonetheless, you know, since, since, the changing of the worlds since the end of the old world and the beginning of the new world, we have been exploring uh, the true power of action and the source of true power uh, because we are the people writing the new story for the new world with our lives, with our choices, with our actions, with our beliefs. And if that story is going to be different than the one that shaped the world we've all come out of, then we personally must be different from our core beliefs that guide our actions all the way out to the actions we actually choose to take in the world. And this, my friends, is why we all chose to be here now, alive and able. So for this reason, 
um, this challenge we have before us, we've been exploring what the actions of true yin and true yang actually look or feel like in a human life because our actions come from beliefs. So we must explore our beliefs to get to our new actions. And so one big old barrel of beliefs that we will need to look at is our barrel of beliefs about money. In my own humble experience with my student community around the cycle teachings, we have been told by spirit every single year as we do our community rituals for the, the, the maintenance of the energy of the community, um, which is actually more fun than maintenance sounds. But nonetheless, as we ask for the rituals and ceremonies that are required annually every single year, for the last five years, from the very beginning of this community, we have been told that we must continue to change our beliefs about money if we are to truly embrace the shamanic teachings that we hold dear. And so this is just a tiny, tiny little microcosm on the face of the earth. But if we need to change our beliefs about money, then we all do. I mean, we're actually a group of people endeavoring to live shamanically in the contemporary world. And so by definition, we would assume we're wanting to change our understanding of money. And we still need to clear it every year. So imagine what's going on for those of you who haven't even thought about it. Now, if you'd like to think about it, um, definitely um, look into Charles Eisenstein, who I've uh, um, referred to several times on the show. His... um, He's really focused on this and given it great thought and great heart and great awareness for those of you that want to go into it in that realm. What I want to talk about today is kind of how we address this shamanically in our shamanic lives and our shamanic practice. Okay, so in this area of the world that I live in, in the Pacific Northwest coastal region of North America, the first people had it pretty good. I mean, there was the rain. It is a rainforest. It is a temperate rainforest, so there is rain. Some days, some weeks, there is constant rain, and you just have to deal with that. But with that came in this region a great deal of natural abundance. And the cedar tree gave much to the people here, even the resources to make life with that constant rain more tolerable. They created garments and wove these amazing rain hats out of the roots, uh, the tiny, tiny hair roots of the cedar tree. So life was good. And uh, within the beliefs of these first people was a value for reciprocal exchange, that sense of understanding the need to give before receiving. Now, in our contemporary lives, our... um, Everyday understanding of this is your own personal checkbook. Now, of course, we don't really have checkbooks anymore. But anyway, my point is in your account, you cannot or you should not take out more than you've already put in. So the giving happens before the receiving. And we know this. This is not a complicated idea. Anyway, back to these indigenous people who, these first people who lived in this region in this wonderfully abundant, uh, wet time, um, they, they had a, a strong value for this reciprocal exchange. And they, they engaged in this in their interactions with each other, in their interactions with the natural world, 
the physical world that offered them such abundance and with the spirit world. And that these were not, of course, seen as separate, but that this reciprocal exchange idea is seen in the cultural norm of all of these relationships. And so through many of the seasons, these people had a lot of time on their hands because it wasn't that hard to survive. They had berries, they had salmon, they could catch enough salmon to smoke them and keep them over the winter. I mean, it was, there were some seasons with a lot of time on their hands. And as a result, a very distinctive style of art developed in this region and was worked into everything. Um, And great artists developed among these people. And thus, items that were highly prized for reasons other than their practicality developed among these people. And they were, of course, part of this, um, the items moved in, in through this reciprocal exchange. And my point in bringing up the art is to point out that certain things became highly prized, became very valuable. A, a certain cedar box that was, um, the designs were put on by a particular artist was more valuable than the one you made. Because the art, the quality of the art was um, more exquisite. So we have a people who are creating value through their work in the world. So as a result of their way of life, those who offered great gifts to the people like leadership, like healing, storytelling, art, those who had great gifts to offer to the people accumulated great wealth because of this exchange for what it is these people had to offer. And the people that understood, these people understood that while the practice of reciprocal exchange keeps us in right relationship day to day, in the long run, it can create stagnation. So, you know, one individual only needs so many blankets after all. Right, you only need so many fish to get through the year, dried fish to get through the year. Right, you only need so much, and so to have more than enough, to have lots more than enough, becomes a kind of stagnation. And so, to remedy this stagnation, which is essentially a stagnation of wealth, um, these people had a practice called potlatch. And there's many, many books about potlatch and what it means because it seems very counterintuitive to the Western mind. But the function of potlatch was to give what you have in excess of away and thus to keep the resources of the community circulating in the community. In other words, potlatch was to move the chi, was to keep the energy of the resources of the people flowing. So so what of our new story and our new beliefs for our new world? So our current Western mind beliefs about money lead to great gobs of stagnation as a result of our value for greed. And, you know, it's simply this owning too many blankets. You know, how many houses does one family actually need after all, right? The counterpart of this stagnation that comes from um, this excess of wealth, having much, much more than what you need, 
um, this hogging all the resources over here is that we end up with scarcity over there because this is a closed system. The planet is a closed system. Um, so why would we allow this to happen? It's pretty obvious and it's not necessarily a healthful thing for everyone. But it's because we don't hold the beliefs that would value keeping the chi circulating. It's just like these native peoples of the Pacific Northwest valuing not only the reciprocal exchange that keeps energy moving day to day, but also the potlatch annually that keeps the wealth, the accumulation of wealth flowing back into the community and back into the people. And that they value both parts of that practice. So why don't we do that? Because we don't value moving our chi. We don't value that. We didn't. We haven't. We could. So we see this in many contemporary healing practices in that there are some practitioners who charge excessive amounts for many reasons and rationalizations. Some of them have to do with this is an issue of my self-worth and I value myself so and, and my gift is so incredibly special I charge this much or it's um, I have to maintain my lifestyle. I've got four kids to put through college. I mean it could be any rationalization. At the same time, there are those who charge nothing at all, which is back to the other side of stagnation, which is scarcity. And again, people choose to charge nothing at all for any number of reasons and rationalizations. But what I see in looking at pre-contact shamanic cultures before we came in and reshaped how they thought about their spiritual life their life, period, is that for the most part, shamanic people believe in reciprocal exchange, the understanding of I give so that there will be energy there for me to receive when I need it. I give to the spirit world. I give to the physical world. I offer my songs. I offer my love. I offer my actions in my humble way that I can so that there is energy to be drawn from when I am in need. And so that, and so that the, the, the chi circulates among the people in the community, with the community and the environment, the environment and the spirit world, the spirit world, that, that all of it is cycling. So think of the phrase, an embarrassment of riches. Here in the U.S., excess is celebrated. When truthfully, a balanced, compassionate, healthy person would actually feel embarrassed by having far too many blankets. But then to feel embarrassed, we would actually need to feel. So here we are in America at least. But I think it re reflected in to greater and lesser degrees in much of what we would consider the Western world or however we want to talk about it. We have greed and scarcity, two sides of the same coin. And then on the other hand, our current Western mind beliefs about money also lead us to great gobs of agitation and anxiety. So there's the stagnation piece, but then there's also the agitation piece. And we see this in our chronic overspending and our simple addiction to buying things. 
Remember that part of the basis of reciprocal exchange is that we give before we get, which means we, as a basic principle of understanding how energy moves, we don't get into debt. And debt is a big challenge in our understanding about money, our healthy, um, enlightened, conscious beliefs about money. So our confusion about money is but one expression of our confusion about power, which we come by honestly given the mess of misunderstanding inherent in the old story for the people in the old world. But here we are, the living, crafting the story in the new world. And now, and we've been for months now talking about power. How do we re-understand power? If we are to craft, truly craft a new story for the new world, what new ways to understand power, how it moves in patterns of yin and yang in our very, very human lives. Now, before I go any further here today, I need to be honest. I may not be the best person to be talking to you about money because I don't seem to be able to remember money in the great equation of life. I don't remember it. Now, it's not that I haven't been in phases of my life where I had to pay attention to it. I mean, I always have to pay attention to it. My life is not financially abundant enough for me to not pay attention to money. But I think part of the issue is I just don't really care. It doesn't have a lot of – it in and of itself doesn't have a lot of heart and meaning for me. And I, and I recognize I have the luxury to say that because for a number of people – um, living in a particular state of poverty, they don't have the luxury to say it. But I'm the person that went tens of thousands of dollars in debt to put a free radio service out in the world. That's the kind of decision that I make because I make a lot of my decisions guided by spirit and I don't always understand them. And I don't, I may understand them, but I not, might not understand the best way to do them. And as a consequence, my life can be challenging at times because I, simply do things at times because they are the right thing to do and that is what I'm being guided to do and so I do them and that is not always the wisest financial choice so I want to leave that caveat as we go forward with this show um, to be honest about that that I I may not be the person you want to listen to about money but I'm going to give it a whirl today anyway okay so I'm going to start by sharing the first thing Spirit told me on my path to changing my own relationship with money. What Spirit said is money is like lymph. It is not blood. It's not lifeblood. Money is like lymph, that you have to move it yourself the way your muscles contract and move the lymph fluids in your body. There is no heart pumping it for you. You have to move your money. Now, this is a very challenging thing to hear from spirit when you have 32 cents in your pocket for the next week before you might get another job at the costume shop to work your little fingers to the bone for $9 an hour. So, so this was not an easy thing for me to hear, but I understood the metaphor. So if you move it well, spirit continued, if you move it well in your life, Waste and toxins will be removed as a result of moving your money. So Spirit also said that if you don't move it well, it stagnates and you will begin to grow ill. 
And if you persist in these patterns of stagnation, either greed or scarcity, the excess will cut off the ability for nourishing resources to reach you. So for me at the time to understand that money is not blood, it is lymph, that idea helped me recognize that even though I had 32 cents in my pocket, I needed to move that money. I needed to do something with it to keep the money moving in my life, that I needed to not stagnate. And that does not mean necessarily go out and just give it away. That the important thing is that in in moving your money, that you're moving it in alignment with your values, with what has heart and meaning to you. If giving it away has heart and meaning to you, go for it. But if it doesn't, then it's not going to help. So just to cut to the chase here, pre-contact shamanic communities understood money way better than we did, even though they didn't have money. Many of them didn't have money. Some did. Most didn't. The fact that they exchanged goods instead of money isn't important. We get very attached to this, but it actually isn't important at all. That's one of the first beliefs that we need to clear, is the belief that somehow exchanging money is different than exchanging other resources. It's not. This issue isn't about what is being exchanged. It is about our belief about exchange and gratitude and reciprocity and our understanding of where things come from. Things do not come to certain people because they are more blessed by God. Because things do not come to us here in the world that keep us alive from above. The things that are the resources that make up that which we consume to stay alive all come from the earth. And that we need to understand that our fundamental relationship with resources in any form is about our relationship with the earth and all of the many resources, food, shelter, air, water that the earth provides us. And it is a closed system, which means there's no new stuff coming in. So we need to understand how to participate in the exchange and the recycling and the the generosity and the flow of the energy here on this planet. So for the sake of time, let me share one of the many versions of basically the same idea that I was just talking about that helps us understand how to be in right relationship with all things so that the chi flows, so that life flourishes. And if the chi is flowing, the resources are flowing. If the resources are flowing, the money is flowing because money is just one of many resources that a human being has to offer. And this is a critical shift of beliefs that must be embedded in the new world if we want the new world to be any different than the one before. The idea that not only humanity, but the earth itself, all the resources of the earth and humanity should be maximized around money, what they are monetarily, the val- what is the monetary value, that is the folly 
in the old world's thinking about money because when we we scope down to just what is it worth financially, we miss what everything is worth in all of the many ways that things interconnect and support life. So we start building more and more buildings, which will eventually be abandoned as those industries go away, on our most fertile farmland because the land has more monetary value um, with a big old industrial park on it. Instead of understanding in terms of life, this land has its greatest value in its fertility. And if we turned it into a toxic place, it now now no longer supports life uh, industrially, but it doesn't support growing things either. So what indigenous people understood, these pre-contact indigenous people, is that you can't extract out these relationships, but they all work together. And so the first place then is to choose to orient in the heart, to see the beauty and the sweetness around you, and to allow that energy to move your heart. It is about the courage to feel your feelings without judgment, and because of that, to orient in acceptance of what is and not denial. This orientation in the heart without judgment radiates caring, true kindness, and unselfish love in the world, which means you cannot in good conscience do certain things. So right with this first part of this five-part system, we've undermined much of what is being done based on the momentum of the old story in our world today. So the next principle, after choosing to orient in the heart, the next principle is choosing to learn. Choosing to learn from life and all that that implies about how one orients themselves in the world and being open to learning. And it is about understanding that knowledge in the Western sense is of little value if we are unable to act on it and and is of no value if it doesn't support life, if it doesn't grow corn. In other words, we have all of this knowledge about fracking. But if that knowledge ultimately doesn't support life in its systemic sense, then it doesn't matter. It needs to be unlearned in a sense. So learning includes the experience of learning itself, the storage of that knowledge to be used for right action, and the release of knowledge that, no long, that we realize no longer works or costs too much or whatever it is that we didn't understand about it. It's not just the acquisition of knowledge, but it's the release of things that are no longer useful. And it's the choice to remember what grows the corn and to use it again and again, to not just constantly be in an ex- excessive um, search for new information, but to begin to repeat the things that work and to cultivate them and to tend them and to nourish them because they are the things that nourish life. They are the things that nourish the people. So the third principle here, first we choose to orient in the heart, then we choose to learn. The next is to bring those two things together and to choose to act from a place of balance and wholeness and find your work in the world. In this way, your actions lead to right livelihood, 
or in contemporary terms, lucrative work that supports your soul's purpose. It doesn't matter how it works out, but that it leads you to right action, right work that is ecologically sound, economically sound, and benefits yourself and others. It encourages and strengthens and enriches community ties. Now, this is in stark contrast to a way of um, scoping down on the financial value of everything and setting nations against each other around these resources, setting up a whole idea around the scarcity of these valued resources. Right? And so this principle three about choosing to act from a place of balance and wholeness is exactly contrary to that idea because it encourages actions that strengthen and enrich community ties. So the fourth principle is choosing to see what is not apparent and to live in relationship with the physical and non-physical world equally. And so this is um, described often as the way of life, and it requires that we drop the lie of separation that is fundamental to Western thought, philosophy, religion, and spirituality. That choosing to see requires that we relate to the matrix of life that supports all life and that we take our place in the oneness of all things, physical and non-physical. It requires the way of seeing, choosing to see, is choosing to see beyond the surface what is obvious and, uh, and learning about that which is not apparent but is clearly guiding things. In other words, to put it in simple words, learning about yin and yang energy, understanding that they are beneath everything so that we can better understand the actions that we are taking and how to bring them into balance and wholeness. That's one of the many ways of choosing to see, choosing to see what's underneath the surface, not simplistically valuing everything for its surface presentation. And so the final principle is choosing to be accountable for the flow of energy in the interchange of love, knowledge, and work in the physical and non-physical world. So this choosing to be accountable brings all of these together. Choosing to be accountable for the flow of energy, the movement of chi in the interchange of love, knowledge, and work in the physical and non-physical world. At this point, you're going, Christina, I thought this show was going to be about money, but this is about money. Because money reflects your energy. Your energy is reflected in your money. And so this final piece is about choosing to be accountable for flow. This is known as Aini in Quechua in the Andean traditions. And this is about gratitude, responsibility, and reciprocity together. And we have no English word for this because we have no concept for it. And this is the great, great failure of the old world and the old story for the people is it isn't sustainable. It doesn't lead to life. And I'm sorry, the one thing we all share here is this desire for life, meaning we, all the different nations, we may not agree in the name of God. We may not, may not we all have different resources in the land that we're on. It's all different in a certain way, but what is the same is that we all share life. So this is the issue, is that shamanic people understood 
that there is a need for this a, taking accountability with a place from a place of gratitude and responsibility and reciprocity for the flow of things and that this it, this accepting of this responsibility for the flow um, that by doing this the good that comes um, it's about respecting those that give it's about respecting yourself for the gifts that you give to the world in beauty because you must give your gifts and so it's about understanding how all of this fits together and taking your place in that consciously to not be a cheese stagnator by how you live your life. So Aini is not about giving without expecting anything in return. It's about expecting everything in return because we understand how life really works and we step in and take responsibility for keeping the chi moving and the whole circular nature of all things. And so your first journey assignment around money is what beliefs about money must die or what beliefs about money do I hold that must die so that I can live in right relationship with all living things, including myself. So this piece that I just finished was really the offering from the healer. The warrior, on the other hand, reminds us that this is all about expressions of your power in the world and that you must tend the dynamic between facing your fears and discerning what is real. I mean, why get all worked up about facing your fears about something that's not real? And if it is real, how do you face your fears about it? So let's look at this in practice. I received this from a student in the cycle. And I have her permission to work with this on the show. And she says that there are core values and situations in my life that need tending. And that these values are having loving, fulfilling relationship with friends and family, maintaining and deepening physical health. Number three is having a thriving creative practice or outlet. Number four is being financially responsible and frugal. Number five is cultivating financial abundance and stability. And number six is being competent and excellent in her work. And so what she's saying in this question that she asked is that the loving relationships, maintaining your physical health, and having a thriving creative outlet, she's doing pretty good with. But the place that she is challenged is um, in these things that all have to do with work and money, work and finances. Okay, so what she said, which is really interesting in this email, what she said is, I wish I could light a fire under them, these three parts of her six values that weren't working so well, to sprinkle them with nurturing gold dust, gather my frantic energies into my belly, and then draw cords of energy from me to these values. And so the issue here, like many who are endeavoring to live well and to live their soul's purpose, is the money thing, right? So here we um, have being competent and excellent in the work to bring in the resources and then to be responsible with those resources to create a foundation that is stable from which one can move in life. Okay, But the issue for many of us is we feel... Um, a conflict between doing what we love or doing what we believe is our soul's purpose. How do we function doing what has heart and meaning for us in the world and still 
make a living. This is a challenge many people face. So now listening what I can do daily journey questions. And that is a good path forward. Um, there is nothing at all wrong with that. And what if we look seriously at this creative expression that she made here in this email? We're all, we, people, we are often deeply intuitive when we just blurt things out that we really want. So I take this heart speak. It's what I, what I think of it as heart speak. When people just sort of blurt things out that don't necessarily make any sense or they don't even know they believed or they, they didn't know before it came out. So I, I take this heart speak really seriously when I'm working with people. And it's a very important skill in journeying and shamanic practice to learn to listen to your own heart speak and to take it seriously. Okay, so... Our situation with money reflects our situation with energy, particularly yin energy and potential resource energy because money pooled for a reasonable period of time can be potential energy for other things to happen, right? So if we go back to what this student said, she said she wants to light a fire under them, to nurture them, to gather her frantic energies to her belly, and then connect from the belly to these values. There's lots of really juicy heart speak in here. So first, well, first thing I notice is she named precisely the wasted resource. And this is all, this whole conversation about money is a conversation about resources, right? So it's the thing about the frantic energy. So first off, why is it frantic? Is this a deep, a need for some kind of deep healing or deep fundamental change? Or is this just typical um, contemporary life freakout, right? Which is not coming out of some deep place. So then once we know about why it's frantic, then the next question is, um, what needs to happen to gather these energies into the belly because she was very intuitive and correct that they needed to come back into her belly. They didn't need to go into action, the yang piece. They needed to come into her belly, into the yin place for resource, restoration. So that was a really good instinct that she wanted to gather the frantic energies to her belly. So the question is, how do we do that? The next thing is, okay, so if, if we accomplish that, now we have a new resource. Now, suddenly in a dynamic that's stuck in a pattern, we have a new resource, right, which is the, the frantic energies that are now not frantic and gathered in the belly. So we now have a new resource we didn't have before. And so now the question is, is this a nurturing resource, this energy we've gathered, or a heating or stirring resource? It could be both. It could be either. It could be just deeper potential energy that can go in any direction. And so then the next question would be, how do I direct this new resource to things that I need to nurture? And how do I direct this new resource to the things I need to stir and raise into expression? Right? Some things may need to be nurtured and cultivated. Some things may need to be expressed and moved. So part of the strategic thinking here is the belief that money is just another resource. So where your thoughts go, your energy will go and your money will go. So if you change your thoughts around the movement of resources in your life, the money will begin to move with them. And another part of this strategic thinking is 
is essentially that none of this is separate. Money is not separate from the other resources in your life. It's not special. Just because it's what your culture, in America at least, values above everything else doesn't make it different. It's still just a resource. They're all part of the flow of things in life. So if you have a pool of resources cultivated and protected, then those resources can flow to what you value. So the real issue here is what do you value more? In this particular example with this student is the question, what do you value more? The thing that is making your energy frantic and robbing you from the resource that would allow things to flow or these things you've got on your list here of what you believe you truly value in life. And this is the thing, this is the thing that most of us need to look at when money is a scarcity issue in our life is where is there a resource that is being squandered? How do you stop squandering it and moving it appropriately in your life? And then your money will follow that movement because the squandered resource is simply being reflected by the scarce money. And when you move that resource into right relationship in your life, then the money can flow as well. So my point in all of this is understanding that the resources are there for all of us. Look for where there is stagnation or some kind of excess or agitation in your life. right? And this is where the resources are simply unusable because the chi isn't is either excessively moving but not flowing or it's stagnant and not flowing. And so the question in your life is to not focus on this or that, the money or this, and keep everything separate, but to just look at all of the resources and how are they moving, your energy, all of your different resources. Journey and ask, what are all of the resources in your life? You will be shocked how wealthy you are. So the other thing I just want to circle back around to the example at hand is that um, the student also did a couple of the things that were really excellent in terms of wanting to manifest something. First was her willingness to journey to find out what needed to be done differently. In other words, not repeating the same thing and expecting a new outcome, right? So that was good. That she had already begun to work with things on her altar to get the spirit world involved or the invisible world involved in helping her to manifest. And then she was asking for help. How can I see this differently? I'm the one who's doing it, so I may be blind to it. Let me ask for help. So the point the warrior is making here is that money like all things, is an expression of love. And this is why it's important um, not to love money. So don't love it, love with it. You vote with your dollars every day. You tell the story of what you love with your dollars every day. So with that in mind, the trickster cautions us about our focus in manifesting. And the trickster, uh, the teacher, sorry, the teacher says, don't focus on manifesting money. For success, manifest money in the service of what matters to your heart. So you're focusing on what matters to your heart. And money is just one of whatever resources you need to cultivate to make that happen. And the trickster adds that money is always reflecting your energy. 
and to ask yourself where you are in debt or out of balance in your life. And if you fix it there, it may fix itself in the money realms. So the visionary actually made it all very simple um, and inspiring, actually. The visionary just said you must change your vision of what money is into something that supports life. When we get frustrated around money, and I've been there, it seems to be the thing that is, the lack of it seems to be the thing that is in the way of what it is that we want to do. And we have to remember to, to have a vision and an understanding of money as one of many things that supports life. It's just um, a power object that we've culturally agreed on that holds energy for us. So I was looking around the internet um, for people talking about money and spirituality and all of this. And I found a lot of really good, solid information. Really, I, it, was, it was totally, it was good. And it left me really uninspired. I just got more and more stuck in my writer's block place. And all that's there, it, with all of it that was there, there was simply no movement pumping the lymph. There was no heart pumping the blood. There was none of that truly visionary energy illuminating the simple path. You know, the simple path may not be easy, but suddenly the way is simple. I mean, it all just seemed like homework. I have to admit, it was good homework, but it, it just seemed like slogging along with more work. And then I remembered a reference from a while back. I was reminded of, actually, a reference from a while back. The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist and Teresa Barker. And if you do not know of this book, then perhaps you should go find it. Um, if you have this book, you may want to reread it. Um, but you can also go to the Soul of Money Institute at soulofmoney.org. This was founded in 2003 by Lynn Twist, and the Soul of Money Institute is a center for exploring and sharing the best practices, um, theories, and attitudes that enable people to relate to money and the money culture with greater freedom, power, and effectiveness. The mission of the Soul of Money Institute is to provide transformational and educational programs that inspire and empower individuals organizations and institutions to align the acquisition and allocation of their financial resources with their most deeply held values. To move from an economy of fear, consumption, and scarcity to an economy of sufficiency, sustainability, and generosity. And finally, the mission of the um, Soul of Money Institute is to generate an expanding flow of resources towards the affirmation of life and the common good. And you can see the alignment in these ideas. And Lynn is operating and her work is operating at a very high level for organizations and institutions and individuals. But the book is really written for you, for a person. And I encourage it as a resource for those of you that do find this particular issue challenging and don't have that ability I have to just forget about it, which I don't know. 
I don't know why. Anyway, what one quote from Lynn is really lovely. Well, there's many quotes from Lynn that are very lovely, but this one in particular, no matter how much or how little money you have flowing through your life, when you direct the flow with soulful purpose, you feel wealthy. You feel bright, vibrant and alive when you use your money in a way that represents you, not just as a response to the market economy, but as an expression of who you are. Remember the warrior said, you know, it's about what you love. You don't want to love money. Use it to love. So when you let – back to Lynn. When you let your money move to things you care about, your life lights up. That's really what money is for. So the Soul of Money Institute's work is based on the following principles. And these are clearly drawn from the time Lynn has spent um, and she spent a great deal of time with First Peoples and Indigenous cultures around the world. So the principles are, there are seven principles, that prosperity flows from sufficiency and that ability to recognize you have enough. How many blankets are enough? How many houses are enough? How many toys are enough? And when you have enough, you can begin to understand what is sufficiency. Each individual makes a difference. The third principle is what we appreciate, appreciates. The next is collaboration generates prosperity. The next is our legacy is what we live, not what we leave. The next is gratefulness is the heart of generosity. And finally, global citizenship is the natural outcome of awakening consciousness. So Lynn has done a beautiful job speaking to Westerners about the soul of money. And she has done so largely based on these principles from the shamanic people she spent time with. And this is the one thing that I do know about money to be absolutely true. That money has very little to do with how wealthy I feel. It matters, don't get me wrong. The lack of it can be very stressful, and that stress becomes a big waste of time. But what I know is that the richness and wealth of my life came as I found my right work and began to redirect my life towards the actions of doing that right work. And humbly, with great gratitude, I say that I feel I'm an extremely wealthy woman just not financially, but that I am an extremely wealthy woman. And this fills me with great humility and gratitude. And I wonder every month how I'll pay my bills just like you do. But the richness that comes in life from doing what matters to you, from nurturing what you value, from protecting the manifestation of the visions that you believe in, and from using the great resource of your day-to-day actions to do what has heart and meaning to you. This is where richness comes from. So I'd like to thank the spirits for gathering around us here today, the ancestors, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week... We're going to circle back around to finish the series that I started last year about mastering the shamanic journey, but I didn't finish because I got caught up in the whole 
old world, new world, let's get going. Um, so I did a show on crafting questions and two shows on interpreting your symbolic language. And then I stopped and I didn't do the last show about the art of taking action directed by spirit. So that's next week's show. Um, I hope you all will join me and have a great week and find in your life something to do that has heart and meaning. Thank you, everyone.